This is episode 32 with Bruce Zutler. Welcome to the Appitalize on Your Idea podcast, helping you bring any idea to fruition. Now, here's the guy who makes it all happen while keeping his day job, Justin Escar. What's up, Appitalizers? Happy March. If you're listening to this, it is March 9th, the day it drops. Other than that, happy day. Hope everyone's having a good day. Hope everybody's banking on their ideas. Some things happening with me. If anybody saw on Friday the 6th, I had an article in Entrepreneur Magazine's online website, so I will post that in the show notes on how to come up with new ideas. Uh, ACES Conference, this project that I've been working on that I really should be documenting more for you guys, has been coming along. Check that out, acesconf.com. It's a conference for IT consultants in an entrepreneurial world. So it's a lot of business, a lot of branding. So if you guys want to check that out also, you can check it out, acesconf.com. Today, though, we have on Bruce Zutler. Now, you may recognize Bruce's name because I interviewed Bruce in the book, Appitalize on Your Idea. So I want to thank him for that. And then I, after the book, Bruce invited me to the Inventors Association of Manhattan. You've heard me talk about that. And Bruce is the president of the Inventors Association of Manhattan. He is also the CEO of Venn Products Group, and he makes he helps companies and people get their products launched, get these inventions made. He knows so much about manufacturing and IP and the financial part of it. It's great. I think he's going to be, I think you guys are going to learn a lot from his interview today. So I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to let you guys listen to this interview with Bruce Zutler. What's up, Appitalizers? Really happy with today's guest. Bruce Zutler is on the show today. He's the CEO of Venn Products Group, president of the Inventors Association of Manhattan. You've heard me talk about that before. This guy is so good. He sold ice cubes to Eskimos. Bruce, how are you today? Great, Justin. Good morning. So many of you should know Bruce's name because Bruce actually was, you were in the Appitalized book. You and I spoke. That's how we met. Um, you told a story about uh, a doctor that you were, that was coming to you about an idea and you kind of showed him like the light, why he shouldn't be making this idea and stuff like that. Talk to us a little bit about Venn products and, and what you do. Well, uh, thank you for having me on, Justin. It's uh, great to uh, finally be on. I've heard about your podcasts, and they're great. Uh, so, yeah, uh, thanks for asking. Venn Products is a company that helps inventors and uh, later-stage companies really think through an intelligent way to implement their innovative ideas. Uh, we approach, as the name would imply, then as in Venn Diagram, we approach our projects with clients uh, in a multidisciplinary fashion because we feel that you can't really launch something just by doing it in a linear way. You need to have an overview and a strategy and an understanding of a number of different elements. So um, we bring to the table a, an understanding of marketing, manufacturing, intellectual property, and finance. And those, you know, where those circles intersect is the sweet spot uh, that we like to address. Because uh, I found that a lot of the typical development going on in the world is extremely linear. And if you first get your patent, then make a prototype, then build your website, you may have forgotten some steps with an overall strategy that's very useful. 
so that's that's what we bring to the table. And that's really good because, like, you know, that linear step that that most people are used to. You're talking about like having this overhead look on it and saying, okay, at the same time that we're doing your IP, don't just sit and wait. Work on your website or work on your manufacturing, right? Well, or think through, and this is the other Venn uh, illustration that we like to talk about. There are three elements to most new products. And by the way, we'll joke, you know, when I talk about products, it's not all, it's products with an asterisk, meaning that it could be a physical product, a technology, a service, what have you. Anyone selling anything is productizing what their idea is all about. So that's the first circle. The next is the monetization of what that idea is. And the third is the commercialization. So, yeah, you know, most people, they focus, focus, focus heavily on the productization of the idea. And, yeah, you need that overview of, like, well, if I'm, let's say, developing a new line of drinkware, uh, as an example. Well, should it be plastic? Should it be glass? Should it be crystal? And you can't really successfully think about the product without understanding what your commercialization path is going to be, which would be you know, who you're talking to, how you're going to talk to them, where are they. Um, and the monetization circle, which needs to be overlaid to this, is, well, what's the price point? And if you have a target price of $10 per glass, well, then what's your cost of goods maximum? And you need to be aware of that because that will then inform the productization of... Who's uh, going to sell $10 crystalware? <laughs> well, you'd be surprised, and not to get off on a tangent, but uh, we have worked on tabletop items with a leading branded manufacturer who was selling a gorgeous coffee mug for $80. Wow. Purpose. Yeah. Does it brew the coffee for you? Uh, no, but that would be a trick, wouldn't it? That would be. That'd be like that's like those are like the beer cups that fill up from the bottom. <laughs> right, but the coffee does taste pretty hot. Well, that's good. All right, so let's talk about manufacturing because you know a lot of the, a lot of the guests we've had on. I don't think we've had anyone on who really can talk about manufacturing in the way that you that you can. Um, mm -hmm. And we've had some guests on people that you know, like Mike Sorrentino was on talking about how he got his eye patch case manufactured. I know that you had. Uh, helped him with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about manufacturing in, in general. How does somebody who has an idea for a physical product go about getting something manufactured? Yeah, so um, that is such a loaded question. And uh, Well, we have time, so it's fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so let's unpack that a little. Um, you know, it really depends on what it is they're producing. Every product has so many considerations uh, such as what materials are you looking to make uh, what are the tooling issues required for making this tooling being what are those upfront fixed costs needed to get this off the ground so real quick wait before you go to third just for people who don't understand when you're talking about tooling and the upfront costs you're talking about when somebody's building something if they need to have like a, uh, a cast made or if they're having something imprinted having the die made that way the the piece can be imprinted, correct? I will say yes, and then say, yeah, let me uh, give you an example. So, you know, getting back to uh, glassware or drinkware, uh, you've seen plenty of plastic glasses, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that plastic, if it's, let's say, a clear acrylic, the plastic powder 
is being melted and then forced into these cavities or tools that form the shape of that glass. That's injection molding, right? So to make that uh, mold is a uh, process that requires taking aluminum or steel and opening a cavity, uh, taking away metal, so you could then allow plastic to fill it in that space. So that would be an injection mold. That is a pretty expensive process. Uh, but that enables you to lower your tooling costs significantly. Now, we're going off uh, a little too much onto the tooling part. Right, no, I just wanted this to happen. So we have materials and tooling, and then what's next? Yeah, so you have uh, materials, tooling, anticipated market, and the quantities that you think you're going to need. That's going to drive a lot of the thinking. So um, what you know, peop- I urge people to do, because when people approach us, I'm really – I've found over the years, and it's the zen of consulting, it's important to help them understand all the things they can and should do on their own. Because at the end of the day, and I see this as one of the you know, five fatal flaws uh, that entrepreneurs have, somebody has to become the captain of their, own, of their own ship. And yes, it's important to hire qualified outside resources, but if you're going to be the CEO, the entrepreneur, you, you owe it to yourself to really dig into the details as much as possible and not abdicate uh, too much knowledge to others. Right. So, um, yeah, you know, so it's going to be, in terms of manufacturing, um, the Internet is such a great resource. So if you are coming up with an interesting new design for glassware, drinkware, look at how other products on the market are produced and then follow that path. Um uh, and then you can take that to the next step, and there are great resources like Alibaba. Oh, I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that the question a lot of people immediately jump to, or not the question, but the mindset, I'm not going to China. Right. You, know, you can't get good quality. That is, a, could be a valid statement, or it could just be an immense distraction that doesn't allow you to make intelligent decisions. Right. So, um, because you have to think about these other people who are manufacturing these big companies. I mean, let's take Apple. Obviously, everybody knows what Apple's up to. Tim Cook goes to China like once a month to make sure everything is going right. Like if you're going to say, I'm going to make this product, I'm going to physically make something, and I'm not going to go to China to go look at it, you're already probably shooting yourself in the foot, no? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You have to understand where are the best resources for any particular kind of product and then do a thoughtful analysis to compare the pluses and minuses of each of those locations. Right. Um, I like to, you know, just to help put the China discussion in perspective, uh, I grew up on Long Island in the 70s and around here the big refrain when jobs were leaving the island were was, and no disrespect to anyone I might disparage in this, but um, we can't compete with those goddamn now fill in the blank. Right. And the answer is those goddamn rednecks down in North Carolina. They work for beer money. Right. I mean, I'm paraphrasing a bit here. But the point is manufacturing always looks for efficiency. And efficiency comes from the right infrastructure, uh, inexpensive labor force, or I should say right-priced labor force, and uh, the logistics to get the product from where it's made to where it's needed. And you know, so things evolved, and was North Carolina competing unfairly with Long Island? 
well, the government, I believe, down there was kind of subsidizing taxes. Uh, the utilities were inexpensive, and the labor force was cheap. So they, quote-unquote, stole our jobs. Well, things changed, and then things went to Mexico. Some went to Japan. Some went to Taiwan. And now that sucking sound has taken things to China. And it's now coming back, though, too. Everything is cyclical. So um, it's important, like you say, Justin, Apple's producing in China for a reason. They are looking to, they do their design here in the U.S., but they find the best, most efficient solutions at any place in the world. And an entrepreneur owes it to themselves to find the same. I mean, that's really, that's really good stuff because obviously, you know, when you're starting off as an entrepreneur, one of the things is keep your costs low. And so mm -hmm. high, and if that means taking things off shore, then so be it. I mean, that's what we do with our apps. We we have programmers here in the states. We have programmers in China. We have programmers in India. But most of our stuff we do in India because it's cheaper to produce there, um, and we you know deal with how it works. And if I need higher level stuff, I'll bring it here to the states only because mm -hmm. of the, the 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 level. Not the maybe the quality is a little bit better, but like. There's a different mindset, and it's the same thing with manufacturing. You know, I have a friend who who has a he owns a clothing company, and he when he was starting off was traveling. I want to I, I want to say like Indonesia, Turkey, like around there to find like the best cloths for his t-shirts, and he found them, and he and he, he gets it made there. He wouldn't be able to find that out necessarily online. You'd get to a point, but you wouldn't get all the way there without having visited. Exactly. And developing a body of knowledge over the years uh, to learn how to hunt the trail. Um, but so you, you get it. And I think for your listeners, uh, the important thing is, like anything in life, keep an open mind right. and talk to as many people as possible, uh, though they usually have limited time, um, who give you a different perspective and find the truth in that. All right, so let's talk about Alibaba for a minute because Alibaba is all over the place now. And I, I've used Alibaba in the past, um, and I, I really liked the the way it worked, even though I didn't go to China for this product that I made, which everybody knows is my magnetic stylus. But is there anything Alibaba can't do? Because <laughs> it, well, yeah, like no. it seems like they can do almost anything now, right? Well, it's not that Alibaba does it. It's Alibaba facilitates it. They're a portal. They really harness a great deal of information. They claim they can help you with the transaction, they help you find your resources and such, but at the end of the day, if your manufacturer anywhere in the world, even across the country in the US, is a critical part of what you're doing, you know, Alibaba can't force you to get on an airplane and go see them. Right. But I do urge people to seriously consider that as they're getting involved with what they're doing. You're not going to get married without meeting a person. You might not want to be sending tens and tens of thousands of dollars around the world without meeting the people who are actually producing your product. So, right, and I think it's okay. It's okay to not go if you're doing like a small like for us. We did whatever it was like 200 magnetic styluses, like not a big deal. We haven't ordered them since. But like if you're going to be building something huge, again maybe like the glassware thing, you're going to want to. Go yeah. Oh no, hey Justin. You know there are plenty of types of products where you can do it and you can develop a great rhythm of communication with your resource anywhere in the world without looking at them face to face. You know, there is Skype, there's email, there's FedEx, and all of these tools 
make it so much easier to do commerce than uh, things were done 20 years ago. Right. But um, I think, you know, the point is it's about effort. And, you know, Alibaba puts a lot of great information out there, but there is a difference between information and knowledge. And people owe it to themselves to season the information with patience and uh, being discerning in terms of who they talk to. Let me give you a quick story, if I could, about Alibaba. And this. Go for it. Um, so, I, uh, as you know, I do a lot of private consulting hmm. with startups. And one of the things that we do that's really helpful for the folks we work with is we always listen for what's missing. Everyone has a skill set pie and everyone has strengths and weaknesses. And some people just would get totally intimidated by Alibaba because it's just an immense amount of stuff that you have to sort through and know what to ask, what to look for. But um, some people have a great set of skills that uh, research is, uh, their research skills are perfect for Alibaba. I had a woman uh, meet with me who is a uh, MIT graduate. So I guess it takes a bit of research skill to get a PhD from MIT or any other <laughs> university. But um, in the course of our consultation, she was really eager to figure out how to get production done. And we certainly could have done it for her. But I asked her, you know, I, I get the sense that you are a pretty good researcher. And she looked at me like, duh. So, um, so we have a few minutes here. Would you like me to teach you how to use Alibaba? And she's like, absolutely, I'd love that. So we go online, we start to hunt for different componentry that would solve her manufacturing need and show her how to differentiate between factories, differentiate between trading companies, understand that this may be a good solution, but you don't know until you start communicating. She calls me up two weeks later, and she said, Bruce, thanks for the great advice. I reached out to 75 different companies. Wow. Yeah. That, that, wow is minimal. I mean, it's like she is such an outlier in terms of the patience that somebody might have to research and talk to companies. But I found 75 companies. I've pared it down based upon the advice you gave me to four who I think actually could be really good solutions. Can you help me go the final you know, yard? So I was like, absolutely. You know, that was fantastic. So it takes patience. It takes tenacity. Um, and it really takes a, an understanding of what to look for in what you're producing. Yeah. Actually, so, I have uh, somebody I'm working with who's building an app is building a little wristband to go with it. And they were like, they came to me and they were like, oh, I have this friend in New York and he does printing. And they, the friend was going to charge him like a buck twenty-five a band, and I was like, "Why don't you just go to Alibaba, check it out, and let me know?" And he comes back and he goes, "There you want four cents a band? Why did I not know about this?" <laughs> and I'm like, I just, "Are you going to pay me now a buck twenty-one for every band sold because I just saved you that much money?" Right. Um, but now here's the thing, though, Justin. Too, what Alibaba might not tell you is how to make sure you're transacting properly, uh, how to not send too much money too quickly. Right. Uh, what are the best practices for uh, going from drawing to first sample to second sample, maybe even third or fourth sample? But that, when you hear people curse out poor quality from China, I would say it's more about poor process on their part or mistrusting too quickly a partner or 
not having clear communication between the partners. Yeah. So, you know, the light can be shined either way. And it's also a little different because, you know, like the stuff that I've done, like the, this wristband and, and, and the magnetic stylus were either something they already made or a, or a change on something they were already making. Whereas I think some of the stuff that you're helping your clients with, these are new things, things they've never made or are a, a huge variation on, on something that they're already making. And it's Very a much... True. Yeah, it's a much longer process than like the stuff that I'm doing with it. Right. Yeah, commodities. Right. Uh, or like uh, you're talking about things that could be considered like promotional products, where you the only customization is the logo. Right. And but even with that, you know, that's something too that people have to be aware of, and this goes to really the regulatory, the manufacturing issues, and that's regulatory compliance. And regulatory compliance occurs anywhere you're producing. You know, uh, with plastics, you know, sticking to that, you have uh, BPA and phthalates, which is a huge issue. Well, that's our regulation. That's not China's regulation. So if you're going to China, you know, the factory may ask, do you need a BPA-free or a phthalate-free material? But they are not responsible for complying with our regulations. They are responsible for complying what you ask them to do. Right. But it's not their responsibility to know that U.S. And if you didn't know that it had to be BPA free, you could end up with a whole bunch of crap product that you can't use. Correct. Right. So um, that's where people owe it to themselves to you know learn. Look at labeling from competitive product, and that's a great way to become aware. I'm not saying that's the answer, but it's a good place to build some awareness. All right. So let's talk about this because you may we, we talked in the beginning. You sold ice to Eskimos. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, that tongue-in-cheek, paraphrased, etc. Early in my career, I had uh, invented a process uh, or a method for packaging bottled water to make branded ice cubes. And so branded ice cubes, what does that mean? Instead of water going into just a basic shaped tray, imagine that the logo of the company was part of the mold itself. Oh, and that's that, cool. that logo would be part of the frozen frozen water. So that was a uh, process which I had patented and they're a Swedish company who had rights to a mineral water spring north of the Arctic Circle um, bought that patent from me. Wow. So uh, a little tongue-in-cheek ice cubes to Eskimos. That's... But that was... How did you come up with a, a mold? How did you come up with this? Well, it... Well... Um, well, the process... I'm talking about yeah, like the process. Like, how did you come up with this idea for the, the patent? short is... Bottled water category, very competitive. How do you differentiate? Why not have ice cubes? And realized, well, how do you differentiate the ice cubes? Nobody's really sold branded water as ice. You know, yes, you could brand the packaging, but why not brand the product? Right. Um, and it started with that. And then it was a matter of thinking through the manufacturing issues, understanding the pricing issues, and that product, I think, suffered long-term in that the commercialization wasn't fully thought through in terms of some of the challenges. But now it's out of your hands because the company... Now it's out of my hands and uh, about 20 years ago. Right. So, but now I have yet to sell sand in the desert. Uh, <laughs> maybe next time we do a podcast, I can maybe. bring that to the table. I used to say, I used to say people, I was a really, when I, was, when I used to be really good at sales, I've, I've slacked off since, but when I was really good at sales... I used to say I can sell a horse to a vegetarian, 
um but like i used to get in trouble like people got mad at me for saying that <laughs> maybe maybe i should stick to something lighter like ice ice the eskimos um so the, let's talk a little bit about iam because i talk about that i have I've, I've had people on from the iam or people i've met at iam you know i've had a Dave Postalski, we both know, has been right. on, and uh, Matt Hens, and uh, like I said earlier, uh, Mike Sorrentino. Tell people a little bit about what the IAM really is. Yeah, right. So for uh, the listeners, IAM stands for the Inventors Association of Manhattan, and we are a club of inventors, entrepreneurs, people uh, trying to get their startups off the ground, and basically we provide a environment for networking. Uh, learning, empowerment, uh, and we do that through monthly meetings. Uh, we have typically about 40 or so people attend in the Chrysler building, 6.30 on the uh, second Monday of every month. Um, and we have great speakers like yourself, Justin. Thank you for participating. Hey, you're welcome. And um, it's just, it's a no-pitch zone. We're there to give information for people to just build their knowledge base. And uh, I've been president for two years now. Uh, it's been great. It really, it's a fun part of my month. And uh, I think people leave always energized. Uh, we also, and this is something that uh, any of your listeners uh, might be interested in, we also do what's called pitching panel. And that is our version of Shark Tank without the TV drama or the billionaire egos or the money. So... Uh, and that gives an entrepreneur the opportunity to, to present for exposure and feedback and pitching practice. And, and I've been I've been on the I've been on the panel. I've never actually pitched, but I've been on the panel, and that's where some of the some of these people. Again, I'll bring up Mike, but because the eye patch case is how I met him, he was pitching mm -hmm. that at the IAM's pitching panel, and I was on the I was on the panel. I forget who with who was with us. And he gets you get to present, and we give our feedback as professionals. Mm -hmm. to help you make your product better. Yeah, and the, the feedback that you and the other professionals, uh, whether it be the patent attorney uh, who's on the panel with you or the industrial designers, um, it's great uh, for the speaker. And Mike, I think, uh, having worked with him after that, found that that was a great um, gateway for him to move forward because he picked up a lot of valuable information, uh, not just from our panel, Right? No, it's always the audience, too, which brings a lot to the table. Right. And uh, I think that also is a differentiator from something like a Shark Tank, where it's, uh, you, you know, the panelists, but the audience really doesn't get a chance to participate. And we, we give folks that opportunity. And more in Shark Tank, it's more just like them questioning, like, what are your sales and what are your numbers? So I'm going to buy in. But here it's more of a... It's constructive feedback. Constructive, yeah, constructive criticism, constructive feedback, saying like, hey, here's a couple of the ideas. I mean, this is where I, I love doing the pitching panel because my mm -hmm. thing is I love showing people things that they didn't even think about when it came to their idea. And I remember I, I, with with uh, the iPatch case, I said, why don't you do two websites, one for photographers and one for the security conscious? Um, I, don't, I don't think he did it, but I remember looking at his wife, Annie, who's also been on the show, who everybody now knows is my PR person. Um, and she was just like, I love that idea. And I was like, it's a good idea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you should do this. Um, so I guess, yeah, it's, it's more creative, uh, and more constructive than, than just people being like, oh, you haven't made any sales. I don't want to talk to you. Right. But this is pre, most of these people are pre-sales. Many are pre-sales. Some are into sales already. Mm -hmm. Um, some are about to launch and it's kind of like a final checklist. 
Right. So, um, yeah. Um, what else can I tell you about IAM? Um, I think that covers it, really. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, Bruce, I really want to thank you for being on the show. Where, where can people find you online if they have any questions about manufacturing or, or need help getting their products launched? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, simplest way is to go to Venn Products. That's V-E-N-N Products with an S dot com. And there you'll have all my contact details. All right, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, and uh, also, uh, if they're interested in attending the uh, IAM, uh, the Inventors Association of Manhattan, we meet the second Monday of every month, and we are on Meetup. So if uh, you type in Inventors Association Manhattan, you will find us. And uh, signing up as a member is no cost, uh, and then you'll get all the announcements of every meeting. I'll throw that in also under the uh, in our show notes so people can check it out. Bruce, thanks so much for being here, man. You're welcome. Thanks, Justin. Glad to be on. So my thanks to Bruce Utler for being on. I think you guys learned a lot. You know, he talks about manufacturing. We talk a lot about Alibaba and how to get stuff done. Really, you you need to understand the details. You need to be the captain, as Bruce said. And you know, look at how other products that are similar to yours are being produced. See how and imagine how their back ends are working and stuff like that. And don't don't copy them, but maybe imitate them. And I'm talking about the big players because think about think about the Apple iPhone, right? Apple comes out with the iPhone, and now all the other players in the game are trying to do things that are similar. Yes, people will hate me for saying this, but that's how it is, and they all play off of each other's you know known processes and stuff like that. So check him out, venproducts.com. Check out the uh, Inventors Association Manhattan. If you're listening to this on the 9th when it drops, there's actually a meeting tonight at 6 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m. at the Chrysler Building in Manhattan. Otherwise, check it out on Meetup, the Inventors Association Manhattan. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Another great episode. I'm so glad you guys are here to listen to it. Please don't forget to leave a comment in iTunes. Shoot me a couple emails. Check me out on Twitter at Justin Escar. And we will see you guys next time on Capitalize on Your Idea. Mm-hmm.